I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. For quite a long period of time, I wanted to do a series, not, not entirely through the book of Revelation at this particular time, but a series on the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. The Apostle John, the one who's written what we call the Gospel John, the one who's also written 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, is now very old, but he is writing what God has revealed to him in a book we typically understand and call it the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation has a lot of amazing things in there, about future things and what's, what are going to happen. But before he gets the Apostle John, before he gets into discussing about future things, he, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, ministers to several historic churches. Yes, churches that existed at that particular time. And you will see, if you study carefully these seven churches, there are not only lessons for the churches back then, some 2,000 years ago, but lessons for us as well. And we're going to start with uh, Revelation chapter 2, where the Apostle John is given a message to give to a messenger of the church of Ephesus. I'll share a few things about this church in a little while. But the subject, the theme uh, for the message today is called staying in love. All right, now we're not going to be talking about romantic love, that kind of love, but the love of, that God expects each one of us to have for him and for our fellow believers especially. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. You follow along, and then we'll go through this and give you some helpful things so that you and I continue to remain in the love that God wants us to have. Now, you're going to see the expression used unto the angel. That word is used sometimes not just of the angels as we think of the spirit beings, but the word literally is the word messenger. And it's likely that either it was a pastor or an appointed messenger of each of the respective churches who was supposed to go back to the churches and give them this, this message, all right? So you understand what we're talking about here. Unto the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, 
which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we now ask you by the means of your Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts. Every single person here, including myself, we need your word to guide us, to strengthen us, to convict us, empower us. And I do pray that each one of us would set aside the distractions and busyness of life and, and allow you to speak to us, illuminate our hearts, and help us to see our needs, Lord. If there's somebody who's come today that has never opened up their heart to you and this wonderful salvation, and we pray that today they would ask you to save them, forgive them of all their sin. And we pray, Lord, that you give each heavy heart an encouragement. And Lord, for those of us who have uh, failed in areas of this subject of love, may we renew that kindled love with you again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I asked the question, some of you may have seen this on your handout sheet, can a church have everything right in doctrine and service and yet not be fully acceptable to the Lord? Now, the answer is an obvious answer. Yes, this is what happened to the church at Ephesus. This particular church that had been born in a city of a great deal of evil, idolatry, immorality, beyond words of description, uh, existed in this very large city. And in this particular time, God miraculously birthed a new church, a living organism of people who turn from their wickedness and turn entrusted in Jesus Christ as a Savior. But these, this particular church, some years later, no longer had a deep love for their Savior. Because of this failure that is mentioned, the Lord rebukes them very sharply. I have this against you. Now, how many of you would like to hear God give a message to you? Like, you're doing a lot of stuff right but I've got this against you. I don't, I wouldn't want to have that. And I don't think any of you would want that either. But this church was a, not just what we call a liberal church. This is what we call a very, very sound, doctrinally sound church that existence for a long period of time. The church of Ephesus, though starting out great, was now in trouble spiritually. If you wanted to read about the history of the church, you could go back to the book of Acts and see some things about it. The Apostle Paul, in his third missionary journey, end up coming back here and spending about three years ministering, teaching, instructing. Three years, that's the longest time that we know of the Apostle Paul stayed at one particular church. The people had turned to God. They turned against the idolatry at one point in time. There was a group of people who had been caught up, apparently, before getting saved in the occult, Satanists. And there was Satanist type of teaching. 
and there was a lot of books and literature that was distributed way back during this time, and they took the books and they burned them. And according to the scripture, the, the value of these books was approximately 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, I don't know what silver was worth at that particular time, but let me say it's very clear that these people really had a transformed life. The word of God grew mightily, the Bible talks about. They were blessed with all spiritual blessings. If you read the book of Ephesians, it's very encouraging. They were admonished to walk in love. And if you want a little bit more of the background, read Acts chapter 19 to read the letter of uh, Ephesians, written to the Ephesians. By the way, the Apostle John, who's writing the book of Revelation, was a longtime pastor in the church of Ephesus. So he was aware of where they were at. When he speaks about the church, he's not just, you know, doing it off the top of his head. He knows very well the good things and the good, the bad, the ugly, as they might say. Now, some approximately 40 years later, after the church had been established, there were believers who were older, some of them maybe second-generation believers, but they had abandoned their first love. They left their first love. The love that they had with Jesus Christ was no longer fervent. Their relationship to Christ no longer had the fervency, depth, or meaning that it once had. You see, it's, if we can put it into our terminology, their heart was not there. Their devotion was gone. Their love for Christ, their love for each other, the love for the lost had dwindled down to just a small candle. Now, we're not talking about these people not being saved in Christ, although it's likely maybe some of the people were unsaved. But the vast majority of these people were in Christ. But they're going through the motions. Uh, some years ago, uh, my wife and I went to Knobles Amusement Park. We were with our grandchildren. We were in the kiddies section of the park there. We're standing in line for our, our grandchildren to, to get on those rides. And I still remember this, uh, somebody who was taking the tickets, sitting there. And as each person came up there, uh, next please, next please, asking for the tickets, next please. I thought, is this a real person? Is this, are they a robot? Did they not sleep well the night before? Did they take too much prescription drugs? They're just going through the motions. Now, hopefully you're not in that category, but let me give you another anecdotal uh, situation. Uh, years ago, I was involved in sports quite a bit, high school, actually in college as well. But I remember playing in a football game, and I was involved in football where I was playing both ways, offense and defense, you know, only about football. So I was really, really into it, and I tackled somebody, and when I tackled somebody, I hit my head a little too hard. Now, I did have a helmet on. And when I got up, I was having a little confusion trying to figure out which side of the line I was supposed to line up on. Now, if you know anything about football, that's a bad, that's a real bad thing. And I'm trying, am I supposed to be on this side, supposed to be on that side? And it was really kind of blurry. And I thought, something's not right. So I ran to the sidelines and said to Coach, I don't know if I'm doing what's right here. I didn't explain exactly how he said, uh, I, I, I just not quite sure. You're doing fine, Paul. Get back in the game. 
those were the days of Vince Lombardi, you know. You, <laughs> things have changed a little bit since then, but, you know, just suck it up and get back in the game. So I went back in the game, played the rest of the game, don't remember anything about the game, but I had gone through the drills so much, practiced so much, I was going through the motions. And my coach didn't think I was doing anything wrong, but there was something wrong. And I knew something was wrong. I was a believer at the time. And as we're going back in the bus, I'm praying, Lord, please get my mind cleared up. Oh, please. And I was just praying for this because I knew something was wrong. And all of a sudden, God answered my prayer. And ah, I'm on the bus. I'm clear. It's clear. Whoa. I use this illustration. It may sound a little strange to you, but do you know as a believer, you can just go through the motions? Have you ever driven somewhere? You get to that place, and if you get there, you don't remember even driving to that place. And you weren't hit on the head by tackling somebody in a football game. You just went through the motions. Do you know that you as, and I as a believer can go through the motions where we go through, we sing the songs, we you know, listen to maybe a testimony, hear the preaching, and we don't remember anything that we heard. I want you to keep this in mind as we're looking at this message today. One thing you do not want to lose sight of, and that is how God wants you and I to always be in love with him. Uh, do you recall Jesus rebuking the Jews for a very serious, serious spiritual problem about this? He quotes from the prophet Isaiah, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, this people... Honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And Matthew chapter 24, he speaks about how the love of many will wax cold. Whether intentional or unintentional, this same problem can happen to you or me where we lose sight of love for God and love for others. Now how can we know this leaving one's love is happening or is happening to us, I'm going to suggest a few things. First of all, our conversation, especially with the fellow believers, is all surface conversation. There's nothing about spiritual things at all. That's not the wrong to talk about in things of this world. But I can tell you, my wife and I have said this, you know, We've been with believers sometimes for a long period of time. We try to bring up about the Lord and it kind of subject change. Bring something about the subject change. Boy, it was really hard to get the spiritual conversation going. If you have that pattern, it's likely you've lost your love for the Lord. Because one thing about having a love for the Lord, you like to talk about the Lord. Doesn't mean you don't talk about other things. I mean, you want to change, talk about changing the diapers of your baby or, or. I was going to say how much you weigh or something like that. But, I mean, if you want to talk about those things, it's fine. But we should intersperse what we're talking, our conversation thing for. A lack of love for God's word. That's a bad sign. A dismal practice of prayer. Prayer is very anemic. An unwillingness to resolve issues with fellow believers. Another bad sign. Slow to testify to the love, to the love of God's saving grace, and, and testify to the lost of what God has done for us. Unwilling to suffer 
the loss of popularity for the cause of Christ. These are all signs of our loss of love. Disobedient to God's word. We say with our mouth that we love God, but don't love people. You know, you've heard me say this before. To live above with the saints will go. Oh, that will be glory to live below with the saints we know. Oh, that's a different story. Let me tell you, when you love God, when you love God, if you truly are in love with the Lord, you will love even people who are not as lovely as you are. I say that as tongue-in-cheek for sure. But we are called upon to love, to love God and love others. So there are some signs that we need to look for, and I want you to go away from here today remembering something from now until the time you enter heaven, this thought, God wants me to stay in love with him. God wants me to stay in love with him. The church of Ephesus had so many things right. I mean, all these commendations he's giving them, we're going to look at some of those. It didn't make up for the fact that they had fallen out of love with God. So, Keep in constant love with the Lord, and we must understand some of the dangers. And I hope you're awake this morning. First of all, understand well that right kind of service cannot replace your love for the Lord. I want you to understand this. Right kind of service. We talk about serving the Lord all the time. We are called upon to serve the Lord. The church of Ephesus, now some 40 years later, has wonderful acts of service. But these acts of service were not enough. They were not doing bad works. The church was filled with action. They had acts of service. Go back to the passage now. It's been a few moments since we lit. First, Verse 1, I know thy works. And he's, obviously the Lord knows all things. And then he begins to explain some of the works that they have. But this is all positive. The church was filled with action. Today, churches can be filled with actions. VBSs, music, ushering, nursery, deacon, service, food preparation, and on and on the list can go. Does God want us to serve him? Absolutely. Does God want us to do good works? Absolutely, no question about it. But never, never, never at the expense of loving him with our heart. Now, I wish, I wish that we would understand this, that just being busy is not equivalent to loving the Lord. Have you talked to somebody and you asked them a question, how are you doing? Too busy. Have you ever said that? Have you ever talked to somebody? That's kind of our American culture, busy. Now, somebody would probably, well, they wouldn't say this, I'm too busy serving the Lord, and I've forgotten about loving the Lord. But in many cases, that this is what's true. Well, these believers were busy. The Bible talks about that they had toilsome effort in their service. They did not, this did not totally satisfy the Lord. 
they, it, you'll, you can probably see this in here, but verse 3 says, And has borne, has patience for my sake, has labored, and has not fainted. They had toilsome effort. And they all appear right. They were doing their duties, but love was gone. You, you do remember about the old Dutchman who's married for many, many years. His wife had a, kind of like a problem with him. She said to him, honey, you know, you told me a, a long time ago that you loved me, but you haven't said it for years. And he says to her very quickly, he said, honey, when we first got married, I told you I loved you. If I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. Well, you know, it's a stupid thing I realize, but we need to tell the Lord we love him. Uh, there are times when I will even say to Susan, you haven't told me that you love me. I do love you. She'll say the same thing to me. And then she always says, I said, well, I love you. We'll prove it. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that goes? <laughs> well, the conversation, we want to be able to reinforce that. Did you ever think that God wants that? Yeah. He sent his son to die for us. We're called upon to love him. So here they had toilsome effort. I mean, they were really going at it. You do remember Martha, Mary and Martha in that account, right? Martha was so busy about things, but she was busy about things that were not wrong, but she forgot about her fellowship with the Lord, and she got the rebuke of the Lord. So understand well that right kind of service cannot replace your love for God. Now, what I'd like you to do, don't go facetious right now, what I'd like you to do is repeat that in your mind over and over and over and over again so then you wake up at night, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, I cannot allow my service to replace my love for the Lord. Now, I'm obviously joking to a certain extent, but I cannot do that. You say, why are you putting an emphasis there? Because this is what happens. We end up going through the motions, and we don't love the Lord the way we should. And any husband or wife understands these things. A man can make a good living. He can provide, go out there hardworking and so on. Or a wife can do the same thing in her home or whatever. She's hardworking and so on. But if the love is missing, what good is all those other things? All right, so secondly, understand well that sound doctrine cannot replace your love for the Lord. In stark contrast to the church of Thyatira, we'll look at that in a few weeks down the line, the church of Ephesus did not like compromise. They had no tolerance for evil men or women. The expression is you cannot bear those who are evil. By the way, the church of Corinth didn't have that testimony. They were tolerating people that were doing wrong. But here, this church had no toleration for false teachers. And there were some, maybe not necessarily, who were members of the church. They could have been itinerant preachers or teachers that came along. But the Bible says, if you study this passage of Scripture, they tested these false teachers and found them to be liars. Now, 
We're living in a world of acceptance, right? Toleration. Everybody wants to accept everybody. Toleration. And, and these people who preach this so loudly, they aren't very tolerant towards you if you disagree with them. But you understand what's happening in, in this world we're living. But these people were strong, Bible-believing, we'll use the term, separatists. We're not going to allow them to teach us wrong things. They sat down, maybe questioned, whatever. And they, the ideas, they rebuked them, they exposed their false teaching, and they may have even disciplined them if they were part of the church. The Galatian church were tolerating. The Galatian churches were tolerating false teachers. And the Apostle Paul brings a rebuke to that. So I guess... If you're here, you've been a Christian for a long period of time. You set way up here as a priority. We want to stand for the truth of God's word. And we're not going to allow compromise to come. That's not all bad. Actually, that, there's some measure of good to that. And here's the church of Ephesus, some close to four decades later, who started out right doctrine, and they're still holding the right doctrine. That's a commendation. There's nothing wrong with Victory Baptist Church saying, you know, God says it. I believe it. That settles it. There's nothing wrong with that. Except if you have that and you don't have love. Because love is set way, way, way above those things. Even though those things I just mentioned are important. So, understand that holding to Sound doctrine, hating false doctrine, talks about the Nicolaitans, we don't know a whole lot about them, but they were a group that were compromising the truth. So the Church of S is doing this. Now, a few years ago, I was invited to be involved in an ordination council with a dear friend of mine, who's a pastor of a church and now, uh, and uh, he had a doctrinal statement, which we were given, different pastors were given as we were questioning him, 21 pages, and it was a very thorough doctrinal statement. And you probably would have been impressed with this doctrinal statement. I certainly thought it was very good. It was good sound material, speaking about the Holy Spirit, the person of Christ, salvation by faith, inspired by scriptures. All that was good. But one thing that we as pastors were concerned about is, is this young man who's being in ordination council going to hold not just the sound doctrine, but is he going to love the people of God? All right? You can be like the Ephesians, doctrinally sound, stand against evil and against compromise, but not totally please the Lord. Why? If you lose your first love. Now, thirdly, understand well that steadfastness cannot replace your love for the Lord. There are three expressions that are used, and I'll just kind of mention them briefly here. There are three similar expressions that are used to convey this character trait of steadfastness. One of them is you were born or you persevered. Literally, you carried, you didn't fall under the burden of the pressures of the culture. You have patience. Here's the word endurance. It's mentioned two times, verses two, verse three. There's the brave patience to which Christians contend against hindrances, persecutions, temptations that come in their conflict with the world. Remember, I told you about the church of Ephesus? It's in a very evil culture. 
I mean, it's wickedness everywhere. It is so bad. I think in some respects, the Christians, as they walking down the street, they had to close, you know, put blinders on or whatever, close their eyes. It was so bad. Even the statues were pornographic. The statues that they had to, to their goddesses were like, you know, gotta hide my kids from seeing this. That, it was bad, and I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It's so bad, it's just, and we, we live in a culture like this, I understand. But these Christians at Ephesus stayed steadfast in their willingness to stay with the Lord. They were. Uh, they, the Bible talks about having patience. They had not grown weary. They did not faint, give up. They were steadfast in doctrine, steadfast against temptation, steadfast when we were in service. Man, I like Christians that are steadfast. We've got a lot of mamsy pamsies uh, today, just weak and every little thing they get offended about, and I'm not going to go there any longer. Can you believe the pastor we are tied like that? And I mean, like, what? who would ever design the color in the bathrooms? I, I, just people get offended of the stupidest, silliest things. And I love it when I hear people, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding the work of the Lord. So you can see, these are all wonderful qualities in a way that these Ephesians had. But that expression in there was very, very significant. Nevertheless, I have something against you because you have lost your first love. Oh, how we need to take this seriously. Do we lose our love of what we can? Why might some lose their first love for the Lord? Wrong priorities. Toleration of sin. Not in the word. Lack of fellowship with other Christians. Disobedience. Lack of prayer. I guess we could add a few more things to that. I don't know what may stop you or slow you down. Maybe one or several of these things. But it is not service, doctrine, sound doctrine, nor steadfastness that demonstrates your love for God, your love for Jesus Christ and love for him is most important. Now you may be doing some reflection, thinking, well, I like right doctrine. I like to stay steadfast. And, and you, I, I like all those things, but I don't know where I'm at in this area of love. Have I left my first love for the Lord? There's some admonitions here. I can round this up, but he uses some expressions here. First of all, remember, Recall to mind when you were first saved. Now, I'm going to only use this personal illustration. Our son and daughter-in-law, Jared and Rebecca, were married approximately, how many years ago, dear? 20 years ago. And they met each other. Our son was on a missions trip to Puerto Rico. Our daughter-in-law was going to a Bible college. She's from Tennessee, was going to a Bible college 
a good Bible college in Puerto Rico. Her son-in-law started a relationship with her some 20 years ago. Now God has designed it where they are allowed to now go back to the place and they're going to leave shortly to go there for a week and kind of celebrate the beginning of their marriage to remember it. And they have a wonderful relationship. We praise God for that. But I just cite that to say we have to go back to the place and remember what God has done for us. When you were saved, when you were forgiven, the burden of sin was lifted. You are a child of God. If you died, you knew you'd go to heaven. And joy filled your heart. And you just, you just couldn't say enough about how much you love the Lord. Remember those times. Remember. So God says, remember. Recall to mind when we were first saved. And then he uses another word. We're going to start with the word, the letter R. Repent. Have a de decisive change of attitude. Have positive corrective action where you have gone wrong. Wrong priorities. Not in the word. Not praying. Not telling the Lord. To repent. Turn from that wrong action. Ask God to forgive you for that straying away from him. Redo. There's the next R. Practice the first works. Loving him. Telling him you love him. Obeying him. Demonstrating your love as you interact with people who may not be so lovely, but you love them because they're in Christ. Remember, repent, redo, respect God, fear his chastening. And I'm just summarizing this a little. He said, listen, you need to take care of this area that I've touched on in your life. You need to get back in love with me. If you don't, I will come quickly. And remove your candlestick. You say, what in the world? I don't know that all of it. I'm just going to say the implications are God's going to say, that's enough. You're not, a, I'm going to remove the testimony you have in that community. Because it's not going anywhere anyway. Do you know that there are churches? Probably hundreds and thousands of churches that are no longer existing are only in form because they lost their first love somewhere along the way. They might have even had a good doctrinal statement. They might have been very busy about different things, but they lost their love for Jesus Christ. And God says, okay, I'll move it into a different place, a different location. Please, please, we're not going to be criticizing others, but where are we at ourselves? Are we in love with the Lord? I know many of you are not inclined to speaking publicly, and it's scary. I realize that and have such a fearsome audience of people to talk in front of. But if indeed you did get over that little bit of courage, a little bit of fear, would you be able to stand up? with sincerity of heart, knowing God knows your heart. Be able to stand up and publicly say, I love the Lord. 
not just with your mouth or singing songs, oh, wow, I love Jesus, but would you be able to say, I love the Lord. I want to do what he wants. And because I love the Lord, I love his people. I love the children of God. Would you be able to do that? You should be able to. You should be able to. So, fear is chasing. I don't want the Lord to chase me. I want his approval upon my life. And then, if you do what's right, there is an anticipation of receiving his reward. Once again, some expressions are used right here. Of, he, he speaks about this, the last part. The one who hears, he says, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. There's just some very unusual illustrations, but the idea is this. I'm going to reward you. Now we're not looking at it just so God can pass me back and say, oh, wow, you're special because you really love me. That's not it. But after all he's done for us, why should we not love him? If it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd all be in hell or eventually be there in hell. It's God's mercy and grace that he's reached out and he saved us. Believers never lose sight of the priority of staying in love with your wonderful Lord. Jude says this, in the midst of a rebuke against the apostasy that was going on, he says these words to the believers. Keep yourselves in love of God. Now we know it's all God's grace that we can do this. But my admonition, admonition is this. Stay in love with the Lord. Stay in love with him. And if you've fallen out of love with him, go back. Go back. Ask God to forgive you. And you can fall back in love with God again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we stay in love with you. You've done so much for us. For us. We, we cannot even explain in words. I pray that every believer here might every day commit themselves in staying with you. We're prone to wander, prone to leave the God who has done so much for us. Please, dear God, forgive us. May we have a resolve, a commitment to you, Lord, that we're going to love you every single day and tell you that. And then show it and demonstrate it by our life in obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a moment. I'm asking a question. Have you fallen in love with God and asked him to save you from your sin? Or you've turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone who died on the cross for you? Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? You say, I don't know. I can't say for sure that I have, but I want to be certain about that. I say this very sober, soberly and as much compassion I say, if you are not saved and you die, you will spend all eternity away from God in a place called hell. That's bad. You don't want to risk that. If you are not truly a child of God, I urge you to ask Jesus to save you. 
I'm not going to ask you to speak. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that. But you say, Pastor, I, I need to be saved. I don't know that I am, but I want to be. I believe that Jesus died for me, but I need to ask him. I'm going to ask you to just simply put your hand up, put it back down again. Heads are bowed, eyes closed. Say, Pastor, you pray for me. I'm not sure I'm a child of God, but I want to be sure of that. And I'm willing to pray that in my heart to the Lord today. You're here, and you know that God has saved you, and you're very grateful he has. But you know your heart is kind of grown cold or complacent, and you know you need to get back in love with God, and you want to. You really want to. And you know that if you ask God to forgive you for where you've strayed, he's going to forgive you. You say, Pastor, pray for me. There's a need that God's shown me, and I want to get this straightened out with the Lord. I'm going to ask you, would you raise your hand? Could I pray for you? Someone like that? Okay, see that hand? Someone else? Thank you for your honesty about this. You say, would you pray for me? I want to, I want to be back in love with the Lord the way I was in the past. Okay, see the hand? Someone else? Lord, for these who have indicated by the raise of hand, it's just symbolic in a way, but Lord, I pray that the commitment might be real, that they may love you and follow you, and may every one of us re-surrender ourselves to this area of loving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you take your hymnals, please, and we're going to sing.